you are not vulnerable to the ups and downs and the ebb and flow of your feelings. You're not vulnerable to the shifting sands of your situation. You are in life and you are in Christ and you are safe. Hey, Cross United, so glad you joined us for this online message. I want to invite you to turn or tap in your Bible or your app to John 12, 44 through 50. We're going to be talking about three principles of believing today. Um, while you're turning there, I want to remind you to go to crossunited.org and you can click online check-in and go to our digital connection card where you can let us know ways we can be praying for you and uh, let us know ways you may want to connect with our church. Also there at crossunited.org, you can click the giving tab. That will take you to our secure online giving platform. If you consider yourself a generous person or consider Cross United your church home, uh, we want to invite you to give and give generously to our church and through our church and the mission God has called us to in South Florida. Um, there in your Bible, you're going to see John 12, 44 through 50, and we're going to be talking, like I said, about three principles of believing. Now, this time of year, as we're approaching the end of the fall season into the beginning of the Advent season, you start to see companies rolling out their Christmas and Advent campaigns, their Christmas advertising campaigns. And, and one of the campaigns that has uh, stuck out to me the last few years is the Macy's campaign. In print and digital advertising, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade recently, I've noticed that Macy's campaign uses just this one word, believe. And it sort of taps into this sense we have of the, the, the Christmas spirit that we see in the, the cheesy Christmas movies we watch. One of my favorite Christmas movies is the movie Elf. And in the movie Elf, Santa Claus has a, has a clausometer on the dash of his sleigh that measures the ambient Christmas spirit. And that's the sense of how many people truly believe in Santa at, at any given moment. And Santa's sleigh is powered or disempowered by people believing in him or not. And this, this sense, I think, taps into something deep within us, this deep sense that we are supposed to believe in something. And maybe we don't know exactly what that something is, whether it's fate or the universe or, you know, magic or, or whatever it may be, Santa Claus. We know and we have wired within us this tendency, this propensity to believe and here we see the Christian story, the Christian Bible, and the Christian gospel begin to make sense of things for us. That, that we are built from the ground up. We are wired from the factory. We are made with this sense that God is there and we are called to believe in him. And at this point, John's gospel uh, comes to bear upon our lives in a very, very profound way, as we have seen throughout our study in the Gospel of John, which we're calling the Book of Life. We, we've seen throughout that John's purpose in writing this Gospel, as he says in ch chapter 20, verse 31, is so that you may believe in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That John has written his Gospel to help us believe in Christ. And that theme has, has been throughout John's gospel for the first 12 chapters as we're concluding the, the initial stage of Jesus's ministry over the per period of three 
years, the several years, and and we're going into a period of just several days and hours in the final night of Jesus's life and Jesus's crucifixion and his resurrection, which will take the story from chapter 13 through the end in chapter 21. And so we're, we're in this final section where Jesus is going to give us this final word uh, before that, that section where he is speaking with his disciples and going to the cross about who he is and what he has called, uh, come to do and what he's calling us to. And here we're going to see in this text three principles of believing. And here's the first one. Believing is seeing the triune God. Jesus cried out, The one who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me. And he cries out again. He cries out. He, 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 he proclaims so that nobody can say they didn't hear that they would be without any excuse in their unbelief, as we've seen in the previous verse, that they love the glory of men more than the glory of God, that he cries out so that they will be without excuse, because we see in the scripture that faith comes by hearing. And so they're hearing this word, and Jesus is saying that anyone who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me, and anyone who sees me sees the one who sent me. And I think there are three things we have to wrestle with in this particular set of verses, and that is um, sending, substance, and sight. The first thing is the sending. He says, anyone who believes in me believes not in me, but in the one who sent me. And what we see throughout the gospel of John is that the father sends the son on a mission. That the, the, the Greek word, the gospel of John was originally written in Greek. The Greek word for sending uh, is where we get the word apostle. And then the Latin word for sending is where we get the word mission. So Jesus has his literal mission from God. And what is his mission? His mission as God the Son is to become a human being, to be conceived and born of the Virgin Mary, to live a sinless life, to show the kingdom of God, to do miracles, to, 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 to teach and to, to, to demonstrate who God is and what God is like and, and the kingdom of God and bring the kingdom of God into, into the world and, and then to be betrayed and to be uh, tried and to be executed on the cross for sinners so that so that he bears the sin of the world and then was is buried and raised from the dead so that anyone who will turn from their sin and trust in him will be forgiven of their sin and given eternal life. This is the mission of of the Son, the sending of the Son. And what we see is that the Father has sent the Son and that this sending reveals the nature of who God is. That the Father sends the Son because the Father has eternally generated the Son. That the, the pattern of God's work in the world conforms to the pattern of God's own internal, eternal life in his sending. And that leads us to the second thing in this in this couple of verses that we have to think through, and that is the issue of substance. And that is that Jesus and the Father are one divine substance or essence or being or nature. That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one God. How can Jesus say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Well, because the Father indwells the Son, and the Son and the Father indwell one another, and they indwell the Spirit, and they all mutually indwell one another, yet they are distinct persons, Father, Son, 
and Holy Spirit. And so the Father and the Son have the single and same divine nature, divine being, divine substance. They are one God. The Nicene Creed uses a very important term that's in uh, uh, the original Greek that it was written in, homoousios, the same being, the same substance. And the, the, the English translations will use the word consubstantial or one and the same substance. This is different than how people are. One human person has one divine, or excuse me, human nature. They have the same kind of nature, but not the same exact nature, but God is different. God is three persons in one single and same divine substance. The third point, though, is where it really gets brought home to us, and that is the issue of sight. And here we see that for Jesus, believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. If you want to see God, you need to believe in Christ. That often I, I have thought, and you've probably thought, if, if you've been around the Bible, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, or maybe if you're not a person of faith, you think, you know, if only I could have been there and seen Jesus in person, then I would really know what this is all about. I'd really know if this is legit. But what Jesus tells us here is that it's better to believe than to see, because believing opens the eyes of our hearts, not merely the eyes of our head. Because many, and maybe even most of the people who saw Jesus in person, didn't see with the eyes of faith. We say, Jesus, let me see so that I can believe. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Believe so that you can see. That's the first principle of believing in this passage. Believing is seeing the triune God. The second principle, believing is a choice of salvation over judgment. He says, I have come as light into the world so that anyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to the, judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and doesn't receive my saying has this as his judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. John touches here on one of his two, one of his two favorite themes, and that is the theme of light. If, one, if the overarching goal of John is to get people to believe in Jesus, it is by shedding the light of Jesus into people's lives. And that light then is brings the, another huge theme for John, and that is the theme of life. So John starts his gospel, and the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus says in John 8, 12, that's, that was John <clears throat> chapter 1, verse 4. John, Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So life, life enters into the life of a person and, and lights them up, just like we plug in a lamp and, and, it, and, it, and it gets power uh, and it gets, comes to life and the light, the light begins to shine. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings, as the Christmas hymn says. Here we see that believing is a choice of salvation over judgment. It's a choice of light over darkness. It's a choice of life over death. And we need to note a few things here. First, when he says, uh, anyone who hears my words and doesn't keep them, now, the word there for keep could actually be translated guard. And so what we need to understand here is this, this, this idea of cradling or treasuring something that we value above all else. 
Often we think of unbelief as rejecting Jesus or, or what we could call antipathy, anti-passion or passionately being against Jesus, rebelling against Jesus, you know, giving Jesus the finger, thumbing our nose at Jesus and saying, I don't want anything to do with you. Antipathy is, is a, a form of unbelief, but just as deadly is apathy. That is being without passion, just being sort of whatever about Christ. Being, being nonchalant, being noncommittal, being like, you know, I'm just not really into that. That's not really my thing. I'm not against it, but I'm not really for it. Jesus says, whoever is not for me is against me. Antipathy and apathy both lead to the same place. We have to be wholeheartedly, passionately, all in with Christ, trusting and knowing and loving him and following him wherever he leads. Another thing we notice in, the, in this section of verses is that Jesus says that he doesn't judge anyone. And he says this in chapter 3 and again in chapter 8. But then in chapter 5, he says that, that the Father has given him judgment and his judgment is just. And that the Father and the Son exercise the same judgment. And so we see here, it's not that Jesus doesn't judge uh, at all. It's that he doesn't judge until the last day. And that he judges by virtue of the word that he has spoken. He doesn't judge arbitrarily. He judges with the judgment of God as the Father and the Son and the Spirit work in, in the singular work that they do in the world. And, and they judge those who have not believed in Christ and in his message. And that word is like a, a legal declaration, is the proof of the pudding that, that this person indeed has rejected either through antipathy or apathy, he has rejected or she has rejected the word of Christ. And this is what we see thirdly in this set of verses, is that the judgment will be on the last day. Throughout the prophets in the Old Testament, God has shown, Yahweh in the Old Testament showed that he has a day of judgment where everyone will answer for their actions and their beliefs. Look at what he says in Isaiah chapter 2. For a day belonging to the Lord of armies is coming against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, it will be humbled against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the high mountains, against all the lofty hills, against every high tower, against every fortified wall, against every ship of Tarshish, against every splendid sea vessel. The pride of mankind will be brought low and human loftiness will be humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted on that day. The worthless idols will vanish completely. People will go into caves and the rocks and holes in the ground, away from the terror of the Lord and from his majestic splendor when he rises to terrify the earth. On that day, people will throw their worthless idols of silver and gold, which they made to worship to the moles and to the bats. They will go into the caves of the rocks and the crevices of the cliffs, away from the terror of the Lord and from his majestic splendor when he rises to terrify the earth. Put no more trust in a mere human who has only the breath in his nostrils. What is he really worth? Christ will surely judge. His word will judge. The word will be enough to, to, to determine someone's salvation or someone's judgment. 
There'll be no accusations of fraud, no fake news, no ifs, ands, or buts. It will be clear as day that you are either in Christ or you're not. The verdict will follow that defendant's previous response to Christ in this moment, in this life. Believe and choose salvation over judgment. The third principle of believing in this passage. Believing is an eternally settled issue. For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything I have said. I know that his command is eternal life. So the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Jesus here um, reminds us that the Bible talks about God, the Trinity, from two perspectives. It talks about God, the Trinity, and his internal, eternal life in himself, apart from the creation. Theologians use a, a Latin term, because theologians like to sound smart, so they use Latin, and that Latin term is ad intra, or toward the inside. That is just Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, no one, nothing else, just God. Then there's also the perspective of God, the Trinity, ad extra or toward the outside or in his work in the world, in the work that he has done in creation and the work that he has done in redemption. So when we see here that Jesus says, the father sent me has given me a command, some have wrongly interpreted that to mean that Jesus is subordinate or less than the father, either in his being or just in his role. But, uh, but that's actually not what this text means. Because for Jesus to receive a command from the Father, he says in verse 50, I know that his command is eternal life, is the same thing as Jesus receiving life from the Father in the eternal generation of the Son. Meaning, God is eternally a Father giving life to his Son, and the Father and the Son breathing out the Spirit without sequence or time or separation, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, in three persons. So the Father, Son, and the Spirit are equal yet distinct because of their relations of origin, so that they are not the same persons, but they are the same God. Now, so Jesus says to receive the command from God is the same as receiving life from the Father. For the Father, the Father couldn't be the Father without the Son any more than the Son could be the Son without the Father. And so the Father, Son, and Spirit are equally, eternally God in distinct persons. But he also here uh, speaks to the fact that that at the hinge of God's life in himself, as he, as he makes the free choice to, to create the world and save the world, there's something in eternity past that theologians call the covenant of redemption, where the Father, Son, and Spirit determine to create the world and to save the world, so that the Son comes into the world to become a human being, so that in his human nature, he obeys the Father and the Father's command. Now, that's a lot of deep theology, and I know that. And, and so, so, so here, here's the upshot. Here's an upshot. Other than just the fact that God is marvelous and worthy of worship. Here, here's, here's where it hits your life and gets into your kitchen. Your salvation is eternally secure. If you are in Christ, there is no one, there is no thing that can threaten the life that you have in Christ. 
Paul the Apostle says your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are totally impervious. You are not vulnerable to the ups and downs and the ebb and flow of your feelings. You're not vulnerable to the shifting sands of your situation. You are in life and you are in Christ and you are safe with him. Believing is seeing the triune God is a choice of salvation over judgment and is an eternally settled issue. And I think that's good news worth believing. God designed us for life, an abundant life with him and with one another. But there's a problem. Someone has taken our life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're missing out on life like God intended because we go looking for life in all the wrong places. But there is a solution to this problem. Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That's why Cross United Church exists, to help people find life like God intended. We believe life like God intended happens when three things are united in our lives. When we're brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, when we're brought together in authentic community, when we're deployed on the joyful mission that God has for us in the world, we experience fullness of life. Life like God intended, united in wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission is why Cross United Church exists. 